0: 1952. 1952 1952 Today is July 23rd 2022 I'm sitting inside a shuttle bus on a queen size bed fit for a king and thank god there is a mosquito net that protects the sleeping area, because tonight the mosquitoes that had accumulated from a brief time where a couple small windows were open and a door was open, and the especially aggressive temperament of these mosquitoes was a recipe for a type of frenzy and it all sort of happened in a perfect storm I took a nap because I was in Missoula last night, Missoula, Montana, sleeping underneath a very bright streetlight in a very condensed neighborhood. And it seemed as if some sort of meth addict or crazy insomniac had a thing a fetish for banging metal all night long one of the neighbors so I didn't sleep last night I didn't eat all day today it was blazing hot The traffic leaving Missoula to get to where I was tentatively aiming to was just mania. People driving like they don't have a tomorrow. I want to talk about Missoula, Montana. I want to come back to that, and I want to come back to the aggressiveness in some of humanity and the kindness in some of humanity. The mosquitoes were insanely aggressive. I noticed it when I was out on a walk about an hour before sunset. I don't think I've been pursued by mosquitoes that aggressive just while out on a walk. And they were big. And when I got back to my bus... I took a nap, protected by that layer of mosquito netting, mosquito-proof netting, and I had a couple small windows open, and I woke up dehydrated, sneezing, hungry. So I thought, I better make some dinner, because I haven't eaten in a good long while, and I I barely slept. And when I got out from the mosquito netting into just the rest of the cabin where I walk around, there's no mosquito-proof anything. The comedy show that ensued these mosquitoes it's not like they just were biting they were it was like a military assault like a d-day just the sheer in your face and hands and back of your arms and and the the bigness of them and the frenzy and I think I have an allergic reaction to these, uh, chemical artificial smells that my dear friend showed me how to make soap and he made all these amazing soaps and gave me a bunch of soap for my journey and they're all in a container right now off gassing and one of those soaps the perfume of that soap is on a hand towel and i wet that hand towel because a wet towel or a wet rag is really handy when it comes to trying to kill mosquitoes and i'll explain that in a minute so i wet this hand towel and it had Artificial chemical perfume scent on it from the soap, that homemade soap. <laughs> and I think that chemical perfume, I think I'm, I don't like to call it allergies or that I'm allergic to it. It's like my immune system has a tendency to freak out. Mm. Like, like it's overreactive. So part of me is like, fuck you immune system. Just fucking get, get over your little fucking scared ass self. It's just some fucking perfume on some soap. Just chill the fuck out. You know, I don't want to be one of those neurotic, chemically sensitive people that has no fortitude or capacity of tolerance for anything. I used to be that way. And part of me obviously still is, and it's really frustrating because it's like it fits into this meditative question that I've been asking for inspiration to write about four things destiny destiny is like the river flowing from here to the ocean fate is like something that's already been said or been written character is like the the letter the image that you would have pressed into a clay tablet to make an imprint in early forms of writing and record keeping and documentation and codification, character, characters like the shape that you press into the clay and choice, choice we're, we're faced with just Endless, nonstop choice. So fate might already be written. Destiny, there's just a momentum making haste of energy just flowing. A current. You know, I tried crossing this little creek this little north fork of the Blackfoot River. It might be that, but it might also be this creek called Moose Creek. I'm not sure if if it's the creek or the river right where I'm camping. Either way, they're probably similar. They're connected. The river is probably... I would say thirty to thirty five yards wide, and it was flowing about um, two to two and a half feet deep, a steady but peaceful flow so it's not really noisy it's a quiet flow but if you step into it and try to cross it even though it's two feet deep it becomes noisy and it it's hard to cross it you realize that any higher it would be much more difficult if not impossible so it's possible but it's like two foot of water moving a steady clip is amazingly powerful and that's destiny destiny is just this powerful force sometimes it's rushing and raging sometimes it's more peaceful fate fate it's like something was written something was was said and it can't be unsaid and there's a lot like that in our life you know we're given a name by our parents it's fate that we're given a you know a a, female or male sex organ and born into poverty or middle class or wealth born into peace or chaos there's all sorts of things that are just fate you know we're born ugly or beautiful some things We have a very narrow range of choice. This old garbage collecting, ex-military, ex-garbage collector professor of mine once said, you have choices, but you don't have choices about the choices you have. You have choices, but you don't have choices about the choices you have. which is a layman's way of reducing what social engineering or sociology or you know sociology might be the study of fate destiny maybe character and maybe choice, but it seems to be more the study of fate and destiny regarding how things like where your biography intersects with socioeconomics, things like that. I was in my bus trying to make dinner, sneezing my ass off, marching back and forth with a wet rag in my hand, sometimes flinging it around like a helicopter to keep the airborne attack above my head at bay. And sometimes using it as a clapper with the towel in one hand and clapping together with the other. Sometimes using it as a whip and sometimes using it as a squisher, like a sponge. Just trying to reduce one by one this assault. And at one point, I don't know, I thought maybe I killed 20 mosquitoes and then the food was done cooking and I opened the lid and I think the steam and the smell of the food and the carbon dioxide from the food and all that, like at this point, all my windows and doors were shut. So no new mosquitoes were entering. I'd reduced their number maybe by 20. And then when I took the lid off of the steaming pot of dinner, another, 20 maybe 40 mosquitoes just right there flying all around just a whole new batch like they just came out of the shadows and the bus is mostly shadows it's not it's not a well-lit home there's a couple little thin led strips of lighting and i was thinking i need to smoke them out i need i need was thinking of incense or smoke. I was like, what, what do I have in the bus that I can use as like a smudge? And I was like, I don't have anything. And then I was like, oh, my friend let me grab a couple handfuls of cannabis and I found a couple big, big buds in my refrigerator in the bus and I took a wooden clothespin clothespin that you would hang clothes on a clothesline as sort of a roach clip and I clipped that onto the stem of a big cannabis marijuana bud, a big flower bud, and it was slightly damp from being in my fridge, so it took a lot of lighter. I had a lighter and I was just torching it, and eventually eventually an ember and a coal developed inside that bud, and I was just blowing my breath and sending like a big smudge stick of sage instead of sage. I was just smudging my whole bus with cannabis smoke. (laughs) I was laughing, thinking about law enforcement. If they pull me over in the morning, the whole bus is going to just reek of weed. I don't smoke cannabis. I have it in there because every now and then I eat it. So I smudged, basically clam-baked the whole bus with two big buds. I did one big bud, and then I did a second. And Insects do not like smoke. And then cannabis, I think, is probably especially hilarious for them. It's almost like their whole... Demeter chilled the fuck out. And the couple remaining ones that didn't just try to hide were just easily smushable and that secondhand smoke of just being in a clam baked bus got me really high like super high so I'm sitting here tonight extremely stoned not because I this is where it's like talking about you have choices but you don't have choices about the choices you have my choice of something to smudge the range was pretty narrow it was pretty much cannabis and that was it and I could have not smudged the bus. The fate, the fate is that there's mosquitoes. (sighs) There's just mosquitoes that's been written. The destiny was me arriving at this campsite at 3.30 p.m. and setting up a hammock, laying in the shade, and then the sun moved. In five minutes, the sun moved from the shade into hitting, the, hitting my body on the hammock, and it was just so blazingly hot. there's a comedy skit where joe rogan years ago i think it's actually a pretty funny skit he's rather intelligently and wisely doing a bit about the sun and how we need the sun but at the same time it's trying to kill us and the The laser beam quality of the sun, it's only going to get hotter. I don't know about you, but I've heard elders like my mother say the sun surely feels different than it used to and that the color of the lighting in the sky is different, and I agree. I think the sun is much more burning It's much more intense. Like there's less atmosphere or there's less moisture in the air. There's less ozone or whatever we want to call it. There's more desertification. There's less rainforest. And that's just a fact. There's less rainforest. And it, it absolutely sucks that in today's day and age of wokeism and communistic Democrats and liberals and leftists all bowing down to totalitarianism That that's a topic I really want to talk about because it, in the quiet times of silencing my mind and being in solitude in the bus, if there's one thing that percolates to the top of that quietude is the, what do we do about this? psychoses this mass psychoses of neurotic fearful yet bizarrely apathetic collective of Friends and family and acquaintances and coworkers and strangers, and that has taken on like a blight, like a mold, like a decay, where towns and cities are seemingly. Infected with some type of blight or mold of the Entire It's so hard to explain because it's It's a couple things going on simultaneously one there's a a type of depression in All sorts of towns across America. You know, you drive through these little quaint towns in the West. And in one word, they're depressed. (laughs) And next to the little depressed town is like a Goliath of a huge industrial agricultural some giant agricultural building and there's like endless acres of huge huge industrialized farmlands and there's just all this space between these little very very what used to be quaint towns And if the make America great again, trademark, hashtag, brand, symbol, if that make America great again, if that can be looked at by the wokeism and libtards and collective psychosis, mass psychosis of the fearful, neurotic, If if objectively the folks who still suffer from Trump derangement syndrome, the ones that still... otherized, demonized, blamed, looked at Trump as some sort of demonic Luciferian figure or something. If, if the people that have that derangement syndrome or that anger could, could just observe some of these quaint little towns that are depressed and and yet in that depression there's there's this gentrified is 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 a word that doesn't quite do it there's a type of copycat mimicry culture of you know the the hipster microbrew phenomenon the hipster microbrew uh next to sort of these like hipster little I don't even know what to call them. They're like pods. They're like, they're like little condominium apartment pods that are, you know, rusted metal and glass and, and you know, you you go to a place like Missoula, Montana and you You just kind of kick yourself wishing that you would have come in here 10 years ago and bought, bought some of the, bought a little house or bought a little, bought a little thing here because it's, it's like the it's like the wave, the destiny has already passed. Something's already been written. And the thing that's being written right now is that it's like all of the, all of these sort of depressed, decaying places have been bought up. And it's very quickly becoming like a, a mimicked it's like a mimicked mr rogers you know a little train train set or or little mini it's not even a disneyland it's a it's it's not quite mcdonaldized it's not quite starbuckized because it's it's partly the It's partly an era of people. And. The era of people. Is. From a a sociology standpoint. Has to be talked about. I was thinking tonight about the diagnostic statisticians manual the DSM the DSM the diagnostic statisticians manual that clinicians would use to diagnose mental disorders to give people diagnoses of a mental disorder and the DSM, I think, first hits the scene. The The American Psychiatric Association creates this thing called the DSM in 1952. And by the time I'm a young man in my first couple years of college, it's in its fourth year generation it's in its fourth edition so by 1994 i think you have the dsm-4 and now it's the dsm-5 i was in this place called the draft the draft house I think the draft draft works it's called draft works it's in Missoula Montana and I got there early and I worked on my computer all day until they closed and it's just a big cool building that is now a brewery and all around that is you can see the you can see the ripple effect of you know a trendy up and coming ripple effect of prices skyrocketing and and there's a there's just a very obvious insanity going on in Missoula, Montana, like, like it's a tiny little town, but there's It's like In some ways you can see that it's like a liberal it's like a liberals wet dream right now like multi-use This whole sort of like multi-use housing mixed a mixed neighborhood where you have mental patients literally like with their diapers showing laying next to their walker, next to a bus stop that's next to like their mental home. You know, and it's it's forty five yards from this like shishi microbrew where 18 out of 20 of the men in there are probably like 31 years old. And all of them have the same mustache. Like if you live in Missoula, Montana, you have to have like a little hipster mustache. And they all have pretty much the exact same version of this era's skinny jeans. They're not quite like the skinny jeans of... 10 years ago but it's like skinny jeans and it seems like matching the pant color to the shirt color like solid tones like if you're wearing like dark green pants then the shirt is a long sleeve matching dark green almost like turtleneck and pretty much every guy was like a mimic of that and this draft works place got really crowded and the previous day I'd been reading the book 1984 by George Orwell and there's a scene where he goes to a, he goes to like A pub that's frequented by the bougies and in in 1984 you kind of have two classes of people he never talks about the bougies but he talks about the proles the proles are like the untouchables the proles would be like the mental patients with the diapers showing laying next to their walker the proles would be like the underclass the untouchables and in orwell's 1984 the the proles in the book the police don't even worry about the proles it's like because they have their drug addictions their sex addictions their their self-destructive tendencies their habits their their just all of the debauchery and and cigarettes and Alcohol and and sex addiction and that the the police like the the big brother doesn't worry about the proles. Big brother only worries about the the bougie the bourgeois. And if anybody in the in that working class, the one that's working for big brother, basically the government class. the the extension of Big Brother, all of the parasites that are making money off of Big Brother, if any of those act like an individual and, and have any kind of independent thought, Big Brother can just recognize that an individual is having an independent thought and that person will just be vaporized in one way or another or turned in by a neighbor or you know just disappeared and so when you walk around Missoula, Montana it's like it's like this two-tiered the proles There's definitely an obvious, uh, underbelly and living in my bus, I look for the proles as a neighborhood to park in because like Orwell said, you're the police don't bother the proles. So looking for a neighborhood where my bus won't be called for the police to make a raid on I show up to a city having no idea and faith is the feeling when you know something's true and so when I'm driving around looking for the truth of where I need to park To be able to sleep without bang 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 this is the police without that i'm not specifically looking for the proles i'm i'm driving around until i feel the intelligence in my gut say this is the spot and there's of course certain visual cues shade the right amount of shade will the bus have refuge from the hot sun is it a parking spot that doesn't seem to be you know in high demand is it one that isn't conspicuous is 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 does it kind of just the Is this one not going to bother anybody? But then I get out of the bus and I I take a walk around the neighborhood. And the neighborhoods I park in are never the bougie. It's always the proles. And then when you try to go to sleep in a neighborhood of proles, it's, it's a night of oftentimes hypervigilance until a certain hour of the wolves surpasses ends. You know, and there's there's always uh undesirable noises cause the 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 neighborhoods where the proles live are on the you know, they're where the freight trains drive through and they're where the highways drive through and they're where the homeless people are camped out and the squatters are squatting and the just like all the things and you know honestly it's like those are my people (laughs) and you take a walk through that Prols neighborhood and it's It's um, seeing it right on the edge of what's coming, with the the little expensive condominium complex and the big microbrew. That's all for you know these mimic mimic echoed narcissist guys all with their matching mustaches there's something so uh it's like you can see the ripple effect of a cookie cutter shape coming from that big fancy microbrew place where a pint of beer is more than a gallon of gas you know And there are not any proles inside that microbrew. There's just no proles inside there. It's only the, the ones that Orwell is amongst. So the DSM comes out in 1952. I was trying to, I was trying to wrap my head around you know we we talk about gen xers as being named by the marketing and advertising industry as a as a entire people that would not buy the bullshit that the marketers and advertisers were trying to sell them that the gen xers wanted nothing to do with it, they didn't want the cookie cutter neighborhoods they didn't want they just didn't want suburbs they didn't want they just didn't want all the things lawnmowers, weed whackers, leaf blowers, computers, iPhones, phones like the Gen Xers just didn't want any of it and then the hipsters seem to be sort of like feeding off that but in authentic like in an inauthentic way you know they had like their fixed gear bike and their fancy little smartphone and their like high paying web design job and they were the ones that were really buying the marketing and advertising. Like just mimicking and copying You know. Gen Xers were not riding the razor scooters. You know, the next generation came along and they, they rode the razor scooters and drank the Red Bull. And they got into S and M social media. and I was trying to think I walked down this uh, beautiful little river today and there was a guy fly fishing and he had a couple children and a wife and I started talking with him and I, I hate to say it but he's one of the mimicked he's just one of the mimicked uh mustached, he just has the same mimicked thing that everybody in the microbrew had and he's one of the newcomers, you know, to Montana, I don't know for how long, but he told me he grew up in Missouri. So he's here in, or he, sorry, he said he grew up in Illinois fishing the Missouri. Anyway, he's here in Montana with his mustache Uh, it's a very just Montanan like it's like a it's like a hipster copycat it's not it's not like a real it's just like a it's like a what would you call it like a uh, what is that term where someone in the city sort of is all prettied up like a guy that's all prettied up who lives in the city a metrosexual it's like a metrosexual look it's like all these men are metrosexuals and they're trying to sort of look like they're actually um, like a lumberjack or something but it's like it's like a metrosexual gay lumberjack. And it's almost as if just observing from the sidelines that there's a. It takes two to tango. There's like a whole um, female version of this that is tangoing with its it's similar in authentic thing with the mustachioed metrosexual uh, I wanna come up with a name for a lumberjack that's that's different like a you know like a a sapling a, what's a good hipster like a name for one of these kids one of my friends names his, his name is Bodie Bodie seems like a, the perfect name it's like a sapling Bodie it's not quite a lumberjack it's like a sapling Bodie so the dsm comes out in 1952 and i was trying to think of like okay it's 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 gaining speed it's gaining momentum and we know that by and large at every single at every university campus for a long time i don't know if it's true today but this was for a long time this is true at least 10 years ago and for a good 10 years before that so a good spike and i'd be curious if it's still true the um, biggest program on campuses was the psychology program and it was primarily dominated by women women students women administrators women professors and there's a whole era where there's a lot more women attending college than men. And so the machine, the college institution, is, is churning out a sort of photocopied, like picture a photocopy churning out a product and it's churning out this, this just by and large woman who was trained in psychology and she was trained in the diagnostic statisticians manual system. So she was part of this system of diagnostic statisticians. And so the university system spits out this photocopied copycat mimic echo of especially if the DSM is is created in 1952 by the time it seems to have a lot of momentum four generations in that's you know 1994 and that's kind of a window of time 94 so 10 years prior to that 10 years after that 84 to 2004 let's just look at this big spike 84 to 2004 where psychology is a really popular degree 84 2004 so these women are meeting their husbands in college that's that's a big trend too so we're talking about the bouge class, the bougies. We're not talking about the proles. This is the George Orwellian focal point of Big Brother, working for Big Brother. It's like a machine. It's like a snake eating its own tail. It's, it's, this is the Orwellian institution. Of 1984 so it's interesting the book 1984 so you've got psychology women psychology people now they're leaving University 84 94 2004 those those decades and they're getting the human resource jobs the college administrator jobs the school psychologist jobs the uh professorship jobs even they're getting the bartending jobs the waitressing jobs they're just getting all the jobs and so this is sort of an era too where you have like a very empowered financial female who met her guy in college and he's he's not really a real man because he basically like went from living under his mom and dad's roof to like four years in a dormitory which is like kind of like communism private communism that the mom and dad paid for and then he gets to be with like second mom so she's the breadwinner And he gets to sort of just be raised in a way by second mom. Now she's hot and, and they have like this, um, they're like the first, they're the first, um, it's like this, this. Newly empowered female, financially, sexually, you know, consuming shows at night like Sex in the City. And, and um, it's interesting because a lot of psychology uh, people that would graduate in psychology would also go to work for marketers and advertisers. So a lot of these women get their jobs in marketing and advertising. To now sell product and sell consumerism. Because it's not just product of, you know, purses and shoes and slacks. It's not just hair care and shampoo and conditioner. And, and but it's just a whole, um, it's a whole way of life. You know like the music the the way the album covers look the way the the show is presented on stage like everything all sorts of like you know empowered woman with her psychology degree is now the you know set designer of the of the you know music venue and her boss is a psychology degree uh administrator at the music venue and and then the person they hire to do their graphic design is a psychology graduate from now they might have minored in psychology but because the psychology uh phenomenon is so all-encompassing it's it's a bit of a feedback loop so it's a fish-in-the-water thing and because it's the largest uh, institution within the institution of the universities it it's dominating the whole university as well so in a sense the whole university is is this copycat of this empowered marketing and advertising uh, and part of that marketing and advertising is this ideology that's that's got its it's uh, it's got its cables going to the basement of diagnoses and labels and 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 there's the somewhat uh, immature husband who loved watching his happy Gilmore and his Billy Madison and his Dumb and Dumber and his What About Bob... So you've got sort of like the the first version of the man-child living at home with mommy, except mommy's his hot wife with a psychology degree working in human resources or administration somewhere, bringing home a nice paycheck, paying for a very, very comfortable, safe... Uh, very, very comfortable, safe, very routinized because the mom, you know was indoctrinated with psychology so the enter in her first child with her man child husband who was the father of the young man that was going to grow up to go to the bougie draft works And have matching slacks with his matching green turtleneck and his little mustache and his fancy shoes and look like a metrosexual sapling bodie. Not quite a lumberjack. A a metrosexual, slender, more feminine, more... um, manicured version of his I mean the apple doesn't fall far from the tree he he was raised by parents who graduated college in 1984 this is sort of the this is the population all the children that are now young men and young women in draft works in missoula montana are the children of the parents who birthed them from 8494 to 2004 and and that's the era of fathers that are They're just immature young men who have never really lived a day on their own and they have their second sexy mommy to coddle them. And so the parents the parents have a what C. Wright Mills might have called a cheerful robot type of happiness. It's like they're running on a program that's from the outside looking in, looking great. You know, like that, the draft works looks great. It's thriving, it's making hand over fist. It's employing a bunch of staff. But then all around it is the proles, You know fallen over sideways with their diapers showing and laying next to their walker and you can hear the screams from the insane asylum and and then across the street from the draft works is like an up-and-coming little condominium complex and and just past that there's like a women's own women's run health and movement practice inside an old historic granary next to the defunct industrial railway on the most hipstery possible you know old industrial epicenter where it's just like you know four women teaching one of them has her like somatic experiencing sign, and the other one has her her, you know, massage, licensed LMT, licensed massage therapist, and the other one has her, you know, yoga certification teacher. like it's like four women with their placards, you know, in something that was part of the old industrial, you know, granary. And, and so that's the, that's the daughter, you know, teaching somatic experiencing, doing somatic experiencing in the, in the most, you know, what do you call it? Upcycled, you know, and her parents, her parents were probably like, you know, the mom was probably a, you know, administrator at University of Montana. She probably graduated from like, you know, UC Berkeley in 1985 and got offered an administrator job at University of Montana. And and then the children were raised in this like luxurious, nurtured thing where any little thing traumatized them so they sought out somatic experiencing and it was profound (laughs) it was profound and they had a catharsis and now they're a somatic experiencing practitioner you know in the old granary where there used to be wheat and trains and steam and diesel and they now have their little like zen sort of like female owned female run thing but two blocks away is the insane asylum with you know triple jabbed quadruple boosted homeless people and retarded people and guys falling over in their diapers and the the proles with their addictions and their and then and then this barrier, which is a lot thicker than that mosquito barrier that keeps those pesty proles from ever being able to get a leg up and through that barrier and into this ripple effect of what seems like a type of supremacist movement of one one thing dominating, but it's all in a woke, it's all in this, it's just like this mimicked, you know, It's not lumberjacks and it's not somatic experiencing Jill's. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's like the byproduct of that DSM, the Diagnostic Statistician's Manual. It's like somehow this, this era of people was churned out from these universities and and then they spread, like, pollen to all these little towns. And there's, there's like, this cookie-cutter rigidity that's, like, it's like that manual, that DSM manual that's just... being reproduced in all of these towns that part's just really really hard to explain (laughs) because there's something um, it's like empathy empathy is just no longer but mimicry mimicry is the is the thing that's being feedback looped and empathy is just no longer when george orwell in 1984 his character winston goes to a bar and he he sees a couple coworkers in the bar and and, uh, and winston the main character is always trying to keep his thoughts from ever being you know he knows that if he thinks then it's going to show on his facial expression and so he can't think he can't like he has to be really careful so he's in this bar And a couple of his coworkers are in there and he's listening to them talk. And they're just, they're just like horrible people, just horrible people. One of them's like telling a story about how his daughter like tracked down this guy and called the authorities on him just because the guy looked suspicious. And then, and then the other coworker was like all like, all behind that and Winston was just like my god like what did the guy do and and both of them were like well nothing you know you you just have to err on the side of safety and blah 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 and, and he's just listening to conversation after conversation in the bar and one of the names for like the new speak the way people speak it's called like duck speak like that people just talk like a duck, where they're just quacking away about nothing. But then, in the Orwellian term, with double speak, duck speak is also a compliment. <laughs> but the noise level at the bar, you, you just look at all of these mimicked, sort of like prototype inauthentic copycats of people. And there's just, it's like, there's nothing. Like, you you don't even, you don't even, like, nobody sees you. You know, if you go into the world of the proles, people see you. Proles see you, but the bouge, the bougies don't see you. And if they see you, they don't like you. If they see you, they are they are um, suspicious of you, or they detest you, or they think that you're in their space, or they're or you're bothering them. Because they they they're the ones with the mass formation psychosis. They're the ones buying into the fear of others and the masks and the vaccines and all that. They're they're the ones that are. Believing in everything like it's coming from the authority of the Diagnostic Statistician's Manual. And just a reminder, I I talk about this a lot, but Carl Jung said that communism would take over the United States next because of our how ideological and dogmatic we are about statistical analysis and so the Diagnostic Statistician's Manual, it's like, it's like you go into DraftWorks in Missoula, Montana. It's like everyone just is like a number. They're just like a statistic. In fact, when you order a beer, they give you three tickets in your hand. You, you keep two of them because they're only allowed to sell you three beers, which I wouldn't drink more than three anyway. <laughs> but you have to like give this little statistician, you know, it's like a little ticket because it's the law and all these little like second generation of happy gilmore you know c Wright mills called i forgot to say this earlier c Wright mills he had a term called the cheerful robot so it's like it's like these robots that are quacking like ducks you know it's like a cheerfulness but it's like a cheerful robot quacking like a duck and that's that's just the every single conversation in that in that cookie cutter establishment trendy and there's no proles in there you know it's just like sapling Bodhi and somatic experiencing Jill you know, all staring at their phones, scrolling, seeing who their latest Tinder match is, you know. And then you walk around the reality of the neighborhood, and it's like the whole town feels like it's depressed and dying and decaying. And and it's like, what, what are people doing? What are the actual skills? What are... And none of it's making any sense. It's, it's, the town is dilapidated and depressed and dying. And, and the ones winning are the ones taking the depressed and dying place and making it into metal and glass. You know, like more mimic, more echo, not. Not empathy, not humanity, not... And it looks like a Mr. Rogers, like, train set that's being created. You know, and and within that, every now and then, you meet, one of the proles who's working as a clerk at the grocery store or at the register at the grocery store and they're just like, they're like fucking Buddha. They see you and they're like so kind and so helpful and they see you because they see the struggle that you're in. They see that I'm struggling like they're struggling you know they we see it we see it in each other's eyes and there's empathy there and and thank god for that but it's you know that guy at the checkout counter and that guy as the clerk stocking shelves they're not they're not up at uh they're not up at draft works drinking a beer, ever. You know they're working. Their their feet are killing them at the end of the day. You know, and they're probably lonely, and actually like really know who they themselves are and they're not they're not the ones married to you know second mom they're not like a stay-at-home dad wearing matching green pants and a green turtleneck with fancy shoes and a perfectly tight little hitler mustache slightly bigger than hitler's like slightly wider but a little more british looking and it's like some kind of cia outfit from like a 1965 movie or something and so the like like father like son these these mom and dads with the mom with her empowered marketing and advertising job or her human resources or her administrative job. You know, she she got in up here in Missoula early. She graduated in 84 and she met she met Sapling Bodie and they moved here in 84 and they had a VW van and, you know, they bought a little house and and they raised their kids in this town and now their kids have a little house here and they also have other houses that they've turned into airbnbs and and, uh and their kids they haven't had babies yet they're you know just on tinder and stuff but you know one of them's teaching one of them's a licensed massage therapist in the old granary and and you know I don't know. And then just yeah, walk around the neighborhood and it's it's like there's a mosquito net up and a bunch of humans are being treated like mosquitoes. Yeah, there's no empathy. And they aren't mosquitoes. They're like the nicest, freaking most hardworking people. You know, one of them's the clerk stacking shelves. The other one's standing there ringing you up at the grocery store. I saw a quote that said something from Britney Spears. She said she'd rather talk, she'd rather hang out with homeless people than with people living in Hollywood so I left Missoula today and had just tailgaters tailgating me the whole way up and out and got to this little campground and It's free, thank God, and I'm parked in the woods and it's just totally dead quiet and all my windows are shut because there's a million mosquitoes. And I think I'm going to just drive to Billings, Montana tomorrow and uh, see if that's a city where I can start a life in. I don't know where to go, you guys, but I'm looking